0: Good morning. It's a Wednesday. It is Kale and Company Live. Great to have you along with us on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com, streaming around the clock. We're presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or Delta Dental Covers Me dot com. And uh, joining us on this uh, wet Wednesday morning is uh, Neil Levec. Neil, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College. Neil, welcome back.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Ken. I got my raincoat on this morning. (laughs)
0: certainly a miserable day out there, but... It is, but it's... You know, it's, we've,
1: uh, we've had some good weather recently. So. We
0: have. We we have. So we have to take a little bad with the good. And uh, any any big outdoor expeditions recently for you, Neil?
1: No, actually, no. I've been going... This election has been so busy yep. that we've been uh, doing a lot of events. It was in Boston last night talking about the election and Concord yesterday, and then... Um, uh, tonight we have an event here at the Institute of Politics, so it's nonstop. It just continues on. And, of course, everyone knows what happened yesterday.
0: Oh, oh what was so that? What was now that? I, <laughs>
1: I might have missed that. <laughs> well, the New York Post said Florida man makes an announcement. But, um, you know, obviously Trump, uh, Trump has sort of kicked off the 2024 race. And, you know, if you think about it, uh, if the New Hampshire primaries in February – that's only 14 months away. Now, it sounds a long ways away, but um, the truth is that this this stuff really starts to heat up pretty quickly. Oh, and no I doubt. think we're going to have a lot of action here before you know it.
0: Now, of course, uh, Donald Trump uh, last night made his uh, highly, anticipate, uh, highly anticipated address at Mar-a-Lago and uh, announced that he was... Seeking four more years and running for president. And uh, I guess n- no huge surprise, but uh, what are your thoughts, Neil?
1: Well, I think that he probably made a commitment to get back in before the election. And I think that he probably thought that the election was going to be a big victory for some of his candidates, which it was not. And so I think he probably was going to take sort of kick this whole thing off. I don't think he likes the fact that DeSantis getting a lot of uh, national play at this point, and, and, and other people as well so, you know, Pence, for example, with his new book, or Youngkin's being out there. So I think he jumped in. I think that if you look at this last election, the people who ran on the themes of Donald Trump, so they weren't necessarily endorsed early on, but they certainly had his same themes, uh, did not fare well at all. There's a recount right now in Maine uh, in the congressional district up there, and that is a, uh, a a district, a congressional district that Trump won by, I believe, 26 points over by it. So we call that a plus 26. And right now, in the recount, the Democrat is in the lead. So if you take a district like that, that should have been an easy win for a Republican, um, these are the types of problems that are going on. That doesn't mean, though, that he isn't very popular in the Republican Party and he has uh, an approval rating above 50% nationally. So Trump is certainly a giant force in politics. You can't ignore that. Um, but whether or not it's a winning formula is a different question.
0: Did you see the speech uh, last night from Mar-a-Lago? I did. No. And, um, you know, I, it...
1: Kind of sounded the same. It was sort of long, I thought, in um, in similar themes. But uh, I think the Republican Party, you know, parties exist for only one reason, and that is to win. And they should have won. Everything, all the cards were on the table that showed the Republicans should have won. The inflation number, uh, this. The economy, Biden's low approval ratings, the incumbent, like here in New Hampshire, the incumbent Democrats have low approval ratings. They're actually more unpopular than they are popular, and yet they won. Yep. And the question is why, and what is, what is motivating voters to not vote for them? Here's something interesting, Ken. 75,000 voters in New Hampshire, so out of about 629,000, 75,000. Went to the polls and voted for Chris Sununu, the Republican governor, yep. but did not vote for the congressional can- or Republican congressional candidates down the thing, down the uh, uh, ballot. So you, what we're looking at is a ticket splitting here, where they're saying we're not we're, we're for the Sununu brand, but we're not necessarily for these these challengers to the congressional candidates. That is a big big problem. So for the Republican Party. So they have to they have to somehow figure out how to win again, and maybe Trump is the answer to that. But they have to figure it out, and I think there's a lot of soul searching going on, particularly in Washington right now, in some of these leadership contests.
0: But it's happened for a long time now. No state really splits their tickets like New Hampshire. Uh-huh. New Hampshire does. Yeah, I mean they really. And, and, yeah.
1: And if you here's a here's what's different about the sort of trump theme candidates in Sununu. Sununu is pro-choice, and he doesn't sort of follow along with some of these themes that, that the former president has said, election denial, for example, being a major one. Mm-hmm. And some of the other things, he just flat-out rejects it. He wins primaries with crushing ease, and he wins by 16 points in a general election. That's, that is... Obviously, the data is right there. It's a winning formula. And so I think Republicans have to say what what's in that formula here in New Hampshire, maybe nationally, and they say, you know, who can win this next thing? Because if uh, parties do evolve... I always like the, the movie White Christmas, which we probably will soon be watching. All I'm of. sure.
0: If it's not on already. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> Bing Bing Crosby jokes, you know, because they're looking for snow in Vermont. He says, what's rarer right now than and snow in Vermont? And he says, a Democrat. Because <laughs> in Vermont in the 1950s, there were no Democrats. And obviously, things have changed because the parties have evolved and, and people in certain areas have become more like minded to one party or the other. And I think. Um, the, to some degree, if the party wants to win, it has to evolve. Wait, look at look at Massachusetts. Thirteen percent—that's it—of registered voters are Republican, and the yeah. Republican Party chairman had an all-out fight with the current governor, who did not stand for re-election. He is the most popular governor in America. Charlie Baker is yep. the most popular governor. And yet the party there was completely rejecting him. And as I don't I don't even know if anyone was elected uh, to any major office in Massachusetts because it, the party just went down in complete and total defeat. And so you've got to ask yourself, what's going on here?
0: What do you think the, the main factor was? How did the Democrats, uh, you know, avoid the so-called red wave? Was it? was it trump i i have a tendency to believe that the biggest deal was abortion
1: i think you're right i think voter intensity
0: on that issue
1: was so strong that it skewed a lot of things keep in mind that our secretary of state uh is very good at picking uh the voter turnouts they have to be right they got to print the ballots right yeah and so he predicted 591,000 people were going to come. And that includes new registration. So people who'd never voted before go to the polls and sign up to vote on that day. That includes that. There were 628,000, if I remember correctly, yeah, yeah, who turned out. So who are these new people? Why did they turn out? A lot of young people voted, uh, 18 to 29-year-olds. What was the intensity there? Most likely abortion. Uh but the other thing that was interesting is when you pulled, the number one issue was inflation. Yeah, that's what people said. My biggest concern yeah. is inflation. But I think a lot of people interpreted, oh, so they're going to vote against the Biden administration and who's in charge. And I think that some of the extremism messaging uh, that came forward, where the Democrats painted their opponents as these people don't even, you know, believe that Biden lost. Won the 2020 election meant that they still might have been convinced inflation was a terrible issue and an issue that they were going to vote on, but they still went ahead and voted for Maggie Hassan. So, I think that uh, that it's presumption that one party dominates in a in a, an issue was, was wrong.
0: Neil levec is with us. Neil, can you stay with us for another segment? Yes. All right. Neil Levesque, the Executive Director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College with us right here. Kale & Company live on a Wednesday. WKXL 1450 AM 1039 in the Capital Region 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We will be right back. Welcome back. Hale and Company live on this Wednesday. Joining us, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College, Neil Levesque, talking about what happened uh, last Tuesday in, in the midterms. And uh, Neil, former uh, St. Anselm student athlete Caroline Levitt, I thought, uh, ran a good campaign in, in District 1, but ultimately uh, defeated by Chris Pappas. What do you think the uh, the difference was there?
1: well i think to some degree she was uh painted as again as a, uh, an extremist sort of a trump extremist and um you know in order to win primaries i think some of these candidates took issue took views that were unpalatable to general election voters and i think that voters really rejected a lot of the um sort of trump view that biden didn't win the election and maybe other issues that they didn't like. The other thing is, is uh, they certainly um, made sure that people were reminded that she was uh, pro-life. Um, and some of the Republicans tried to sort of parse that out, that they believed the state's rights. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to sort of parse that and sort of explain it. Um, it's sort of a, a black and white issue. Um, and so I think that that's what happened. She's certainly talented, uh, very good debater, um she knows her issues and uh she's 25 years old so i'm sure that that's not going to be the last time
0: uh you're going to hear that name so you think her future is bright in the gop
1: yeah i think that you know in the republican brand that she aspires to she she is lockstep with a lot of republican primary voters and that's why as a first-time candidate she won that primary very talented communicator, so I'm sure we'll see more of it. Um, again, it's a tough state to sort of win, uh, with some of those issues that she's embraced, but, uh, you know, victory has a thousand fathers and, and, and defeat of course is an orphan. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, many polls had, uh, General Bolduck and the incumbent Maggie Hassan, uh, very close prior to last Tuesday, but, uh, Hassan won fairly easily.
1: She did. uh, To her credit, she uh, ran a very good campaign. She did everything she needed to do, including raise a lot of money. She was able to really put Bullduck in a box. The Republican Party nominated Bullduck. He had $85,000 cash on hand when they did. Uh, That's a tough position to be in, running for the United States Senate. If you were running for the state Senate, that would be a tough Mm. position to be in. And What it means is that when your opponent says something about you, you have really no ability to sort of counter that. Um, There were a couple of pivot points, I think, that happened. Um, Those polls, one of which we did three weeks before the election, are snapshots in time. And I think that the final part of this campaign, things might have solidified for Hassan in the fact that Trump made a very awkward endorsement of, of Bolduc mm-hmm. and really uh, changed some of the messaging that he was trying to conduct. Um, and so it was easy to sort of say, oh, he's one of them, This, you know, has ex- extreme ideas. Secondly, he had a very awkward way of sort of explaining it. Like he said, he wasn't an election denier, but he signed a letter with 100 former army generals saying that Donald Trump had won the election. So, you know, when you sign a letter like that, you, you know, that's the data point. So um, there was that, and there was a big debate that a lot of people watched, uh, WMUR's debate that was conducted here at the Institute of Politics. Um, people watched these things, and he had trouble particularly with women. Uh, women voters were not... Uh, favorable to him, and I think maybe his debate performance was, while strong, uh, it wasn't something that might have uh, been palatable to people who were undecided and potentially even uh, female voters.
0: Yeah. So, any future for Bullduck politically in this state?
1: Well, the day after the campaign, he was uh, appeared he appeared with um Rudy Giuliani in a video and um i think that Giuliani is um you know he's he's not exactly um precious metal right now as far as um his past conduct and i think that when you appear on stage i i i was sort of questioning what what exactly he was doing being on stage with Rudy
0: Giuliani. Yeah, rather polarizing. A rather polarizing figure is uh, Rudy Giuliani, no doubt about that. And we mentioned Governor Sununu, his uh, landslide win over Dr. Tom Sherman. Four terms now for Chris Sununu, and a lot of speculation, of course, uh, in the media has already started. What's he going to do? You know, is he going to be involved in the next. A presidential primary cycle? Uh, is he uh, you know, vice presidential timber? Could he be presidential timber? What do you hear, Neil?
1: Well, I hear a lot about this, and I hear about it from people across the country, reporters, national uh, people involved with party politics. They are very, very interested in him. He uh, has a proven winning ability, Uh, He's a conservative candidate, uh, and he has broad appeal. So when you have that, uh, people take an interest in it. And I think that people are sort of encouraging him and asking him to go across the country and speak. He's in Florida as we speak. He's at the Republican Governors Association meeting. But uh, I know that there are other groups across the country that are really encouraging him to come out here and address our groups. So I think as this continues... I think people sort of start to say this is somebody that um, the national spotlight really should show, show on. Them. It's tough to be an emperor in your own backyard, right? So you know Chris Sununu because he lets you call him Chris, and you see him at Market Basket or, you know, on all of the things that he does. He's everywhere, it seems. So it's hard to think of him as being, oh, would he run for president? But if you take a step back and think about how what kind of a communicator he is, his winning record, his age, and you sort of all size it all up, um, it it could be a winning factor. Now, the, the interesting thing about it is he is pro-choice, which in today's Republican Party nationally is a tough place to be. However, it, I, I wonder after this midterm election whether or not a pro-life candidate um, is electable nationally nationally. Uh, in twenty twenty four I think that the Dobbs decision was a real motivator, and it will continue to be,
0: yeah, no doubt about it, but it'll be interesting to see what uh, what transpires. Do you think Trump's uh, announcement last night will uh, make maybe some Republican hopefuls change their minds and not even attempt uh, a a primary run like like uh, a pence or a, De- a DeSantis or or uh Governor Youngkin, or a- anybody else
1: Well, I watched all the morning talk shows and I've seen Mike Pence on about six of them so yeah. far. <laughs> and uh so I think no. I think he'll continue to try to see if there's a a way for him to get the Republican nomination. I think that other candidates uh said some things in the past that I think are are going to be problematic. I know Nikki Haley said that she wouldn't run if Trump ran, which I think is a more problem, not that you can't get out of that. I mean, we've all heard politicians sort of uh, make promises that they sort of squeak out of, except for the fact it kind of shows that it's sort of like saying I'm second best, and that I'll yield to the better candidate. And I think that that's kind of be a little bit of a problem, but we'll see. She's been already been in New Hampshire, and she's been campaigning, and so maybe she just keeps it up.
0: Well, Neil, uh, the Republicans now have, have the control of the U.S. House of Representatives. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will no longer be Speaker of the House. It'll probably be Kevin McCarthy, based on what we saw yesterday, if he manages to get enough votes in in January. But at least they will have control of the House. Uh, it'll probably—the uh, you know, Democrats will definitely control the Senate again, no matter what happens uh, in Georgia, because they'll have the deciding vote. So, What's going to take place over the next couple of years? Pretty much nothing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, this is a really fascinating subject, because yesterday, of course, the members came out, and there were 31 people who, in the caucus, 80, 188 to 31, who voted against McCarthy. Now, that's okay, okay? But when he goes before the whole U.S. House, and let's say the Republicans have 218, 219, or 220 their number in the U.S. House, we don't know yet. Right now there are 217 with some recounts, I think 13 left to go. So McCarthy has to get 218 in order to become Speaker. Now, if one person says, I am going to hold back and I'm going to vote present," that really screws him up. Yep. So what he has to do is he has to make deals with everybody, and that could mean a very conservative House.
0: Absolutely, hey Neil. It's always great to chat with you. And uh, time moves too quickly when you're when you're on here. We'll have you back uh, real soon. Anything uh, going on that we should know about at uh, the institute? Well, we have
1: uh, uh, author Tim Miller tonight at six p.m. free and open to the public about his new book, "Why We Did It." And we're looking forward to that. And then Thanksgiving. I need. I think I need a break from politics, Ken. I I got to go back out hunting.
0: There you go. Have you gotten your deer yet this year?
1: I, I barely have been hunting. The yeah. other day I got put on a suit to go to work and a giant buck was in my yard.
0: So. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Neil, thanks so much. We appreciate it. We'll uh, chat soon and have a great Thanksgiving.
1: Thanks. You too, Ken.
0: All right. Take care. Neil Levesque, Executive Director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College, joining us. Hey, coming up, we're going to talk a little college soccer right here. Kale & Company Live on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back. It is Kale & Company Live on this Wednesday. Great to have you along with us on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more. And find your plan at anydelta.com or deltadentalcoversme.com. The University of New Hampshire men's soccer team has advanced into the NCAA tournament for the sixth consecutive year and seventh time overall. And uh, joining us is the men's head soccer coach at UNH, Mark Hubbard. Mark, uh, welcome to Kale & Company and uh, congratulations to you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Well, it is uh, our pleasure. The Wildcats uh, earned an automatic berth in the NCAA tourney on Sunday uh, by winning the America East title in Durham with a uh, two 0 victory over Albany. Tell us about uh, that victory, Coach.
2: Um, sure. Uh, it was it was easily the worst weather we had all year. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a new I'm a New Hampshire uh, guy through yeah. and through, and uh, it's been an unbelievable fall in terms of weather. So. Be able to play through some of those elements. We came out, uh, kind of played into the wind, and uh, played a really good first half, went into halftime 2, two nothing, and, uh, and then kind of a uh, little bit of a choppy second half, kind of defending and, and uh, protecting the four per se, but kind of got through with the with the shutout and uh, ability to move on.
0: Yeah, the Wildcats have been uh, dominant on the home pitch this year, a 9-1-0 and this season, scoring 18 goals and allowing... Uh, just two, and uh, overall UNH fourteen four and O, twelfth best winning percentage in the country. Uh, why are the Wildcats so dominant uh, on on their home field?
2: Uh, I think it's just uh, I think it's just who we are and what we're about. We're we're definitely proud to represent New Hampshire and the University of New Hampshire um, in general. You know what it means and what it's about, especially me being a hometown hometown guy. And um, we work really hard to to uh, protect the fort and be able to play in front of our fans who are extremely loyal and very educated and coming, coming into the thousands now each game. So well. we're, we're really, really excited about the momentum we've created over the last six years. And hopefully people will come out this Thursday.
0: Yeah, the uh, soccer culture has has changed uh, over the past, as you mentioned, uh, six or seven years uh, in Durham, and now, as you said, you have literally thousands uh, attending uh, your games. I remember in the past, be- before that, there might have been you know, not not even hundreds, but now there are thousands uh, coming out.
2: Yeah, we we spend a lot of time in the local communities and around the state doing soccer camps and clinics, and. Those relationships have really grown, and um, you know, me me being a local kid that used to be a ball boy on the sidelines for UNH, I understand kind of what that can do for development. And um, you know, our guys have just done a great job. And so, I think over the course of time, um, not only does the local community and families come out because it's a great event, but also the the students and around the school as, as well have kind of caught on and want to come to be a winning team.
0: You have kind of become uh, Mr. Soccer in New Hampshire. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, you're a local guy. You had a tremendous career at uh, Southern New Hampshire University uh, as well, and now at uh, at UNH. And it must be gratifying for you as someone who has been in the game for as long as you have. I mean, you're still a relatively young guy. But to see, you know, soccer take off like it has throughout the state.
2: Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's definitely – you kind of chip on the shoulder when it comes to UNH athletics with football and, and hockey kind of being perennial powers growing up and uh, wanting to kind of turn turn the, the tides and turning it into a soccer school while still supporting those programs. So I think um, what we've been able to, to build here is, is really special, something that I'm proud of, and hopefully we can continue to build on and make a good run here uh, in the NCAA playoffs.
0: Mark Hubbard is with us, and he is the head coach of soccer for the men at the University of New Hampshire. And uh, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, hopefully the pitch will be in, in good shape. One more home game against uh, Seton Hall, representing the, the Big East in the NCAA tournament. The winner of tomorrow night's game will fly to Miami for a round of a 32 matchup with 10th seeded Florida International. But first of all, uh, what do you know about your opponent tomorrow night, Seton Hall?
2: Well, they they lost in the the semifinals, They they they've gotten an extra three or four days of rest on us. So, um, you know, I think that's important to to note and to kind of put in our guys' heads uh, when they're preparing the these last uh, few hours before the game is to make sure they're they're going to come out with a lot of energy. We gotta we gotta match that at this point in time. It's a, you got to play well or you're going home, so I think all these games are close, and we have to be really tuned in and playing our best stuff, uh, you know, in about a day and a half here.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, 11 shutouts during the season uh, for the Wildcats. Yeah, talk about your, your, your team's outstanding defensive play. I mean, that's an incredible number, 11.
2: Yeah, I think that's something that's like, every single year, like last year, we led the nation in goals against and shutout percentage. We've done that in another year in my time at UNH, and it's just it's in our DNA. It's in our culture. It's not It's not that we have a defensive mentality and kind of sit in, but we, we like to press and win the ball back, and, and we really like to keep the ball and possess and create a lot of attacking chances because that's fun as a fan to watch. So if you come to our games, you're going to see a team that is really unified and collective, and um, not only uh, from a defensive standpoint, but from an attacking standpoint. If you can keep the ball pinned in and the other teams end, um, you know they're gonna they're obviously gonna have less chances at your own goal. So I think it's a really really uh, important aspect, obviously, in soccer because uh, you can win games one nothing and um, and get through. So that's going to be really valuable sort uh, of culture and identity piece as we move forward here into the national tournament.
0: Yeah, I I, I would say the uh, the attacking uh, part of your game is is pretty uh, pretty good too. I mean, outscoring your opposition thirty four to nine and. Uh, now, where does that offense come from?
2: Uh, I think it's just that again, it's something over the course of time. There's been guys in a program that have been here for four years and are into their their fifth year, their COVID stuff. So we we've got um we've got a, a definitely a culture of guys that like to play uh around and, and understand who they are and um so being able to move the ball and move off the ball for each other becomes a really important aspect of kind of creating those chances and um it's fun. it's fun to score goals, so that's something we, we work on every day, and we build into our, our training routine is being able to cross and finish and, and sort of put ourselves in those positions.
0: As we mentioned, uh, six consecutive trips to the NCAA, seventh overall last season uh, during the NCAA tournament. The uh, team was able to take the New England Patriots charter uh, plane to uh, Oregon. How, how did that come about?
2: That's a that's a good long story, but uh, I'll, I'll try and give you the short version. The NCA get in, we're kind of at the mercy of the NCA's travel agency to put us in positions to get to the uh, the next place and um, there's obviously a budget and cost that goes with that and um, they were they, we, after our, our big win over UNC um, we were set to travel out to Oregon State sort of on that Thanksgiving weekend and uh, the NCA travel agency had us going on. A plane from Boston, um, the day before and on two different flights to Seattle, um, and then having to take a bus and travel five and a half hours down to, to Corvallis. Um, so we, it would have been a 17 hour day and we yeah. wouldn't have been able to really get in a, a training session. So we thought we were working hard to find out other options. A couple of different charters fell through. Our deputy athletic director at the time made a call to, um, the, the craft organization and, they kind of opened up uh, what what is eastern airlines and and uh, aircraft too it, it came at a, at a good cost um, but uh, definitely a memorable experience for for everyone and uh, got us and gave us the best possible chance to go out and uh, try and beat the number one seat out there. so very thankful for that Always will remember that and that's really a lot of credit due to UNH and the support that they've given me.
0: Well, yeah, uh, I guess it was a memorable, uh, memorable experience for all, uh, in, including yourself, to uh, get on that uh, Patriots charter, and things, things worked out, except for the result of the game, but a great experience uh, for one and all, and uh, this year, we wish you all the best in the NCAA tournament beginning uh, tomorrow night, and uh, I know you'll have a great deal of support, not only uh, from the student body, but from uh, many people around the state as well. Yeah, just
2: uh, you know, want to obviously plug that. Like this rain, this rain will stop for sure. It might be a little bit chilly, but um, hopefully we can uh, we can bundle up and, and get out there because the fans really do make a difference. And this could be our last home game, given if there aren't any other upsets uh, on the other side of the bracket. So we really want to put on one last good performance for our fans, and we hope um, everyone will come out.
0: Wildcats Stadium tomorrow night. Uh, tickets available at unhwildcats.com or you can call 603-862-4000. 603-862-4000. Mark Hubbard, thanks so much for joining us today. We wish you uh, all the best in the NCAA tournament.
2: All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you having me.
0: All right. Our pleasure. And what a team he has put together, uh, I mean, for many, many years now. Six consecutive trips to the NCAA Tournament, and tomorrow night you can see the Wildcats take on the Pirates of Seton Hall at Wildcats Stadium at 6 o'clock. Again, unhwildcats.com, or for tickets, call 603-862-4000. Kale & Company live, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be back right after these messages on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company Live. Great to have you along with us today on this Wednesday, November the 16th. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at anydelta.com or deltadentalcoversme.com. Let's see uh, what... Uh, days are being commemorated uh, on this November the 16th, it's, well, here's a good one for you, especially on a day like today, International Check Your Windshield Wipers Day. That fell on a, on a pretty good day, because everybody within the sound of my voice, for sure, unless you're listening in some far-off distant land on nhtalkradio.com, but everybody around here anyway has uh, put their windshield wipers to work uh, this morning. And tomorrow, a little programming note here. Uh, will be visited by Dan Weed of uh, Weed Family Automotive, who joins us on a regular basis to uh, talk about the maintenance of your vehicle and what's going on in the automobile industry uh, in general. And always great to have Dan on the show. And if you have a question uh, for Dan about uh, the, you know, uh, the workings of your vehicle or the lack thereof. If there seems to be an issue with your car, maybe Dan can give you some advice. You can uh, give him a call right here on the show tomorrow. We'll be live at uh, 8.07 or thereabouts. You can call Dan at 603-224-1450, 603-224-1450, which is the AM frequency, as you probably know, of uh, WKXL. So international check your windshield wipers day today. It's also National Button Day, Button Button, who's got the button? Uh, National Fast Food Day, isn't that kind of every day? <laughs> isn't, isn't every day National Fast Food Day? And also, and this is very important, National Educational Support Professionals Day. Maybe not teachers, but uh, those who aid in the classrooms that sometimes uh, might go a little bit unrecognized. Well, uh, today... Is their day the National Educational Support Professionals Day? So, we commemorate those days today. Yeah, I know I commemorate uh, National Fast Food Day uh, nearly every day. <laughs> Hate to admit it, but uh, but it's true. Whether you go to a, you know one of the coffee chains or uh, one of the hamburger chains or a chicken chain, pizza chain. I mean, who doesn't, right? How can you try to avoid those? Uh, fast food establishments. Well, from uh, Fox News, an article uh, written by Kyle Morris from Fox News, the 2020 midterm elections, uh, both in the House and the Senate, did not go as planned for several Republican candidates seeking office, as you probably know by now, leaving voters to question how some Democrats survived tough elections and avoided the red wave that Many within the GOP and elsewhere uh, had predicted the Republican Party is, of course, favored to win a slim majority in the House of Representatives, but it will likely be far smaller than many prominent party members and leaders anticipated ahead of the November 8th elections, predicting that a red wave would dominate the midterms. In the Senate, however, things do not look so bright uh, for the GOP, a closely- contested race in Georgia between incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael uh, Warnock and his Republican challenger, former football star and Heisman Trophy winner Herschel Walker, is headed to a December runoff election. Should Walker come out on top in that election and match the Democrats' 50 seats in the upper chamber, the Democrats will still have control of the Senate due to Vice President Harris's ability to cast a tie-breaking vote. But it's still important, though, uh, to get a 50-50 split because then all the committees have the same number of, uh, you know, uh, members. The uh, committees in in the Senate have the same number of members from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. So it is important to get the 50-50 split even though uh, you have uh, – You know, the vice president with the ability to break any ties uh, on uh, votes in Congress. But then you have uh, the Joe Manchin factor in there, the Democrat from West Virginia or Kirsten Sinema, uh, the Republican, the uh, Democrat rather from uh, Arizona who have voted with Republicans uh, over the years on certain issues. So uh, getting to 50-50 is important. It is important for the Republicans uh, to attempt to get to 50-50, and that's why uh, many prominent Republicans are now visiting Georgia in support of Herschel Walker. Uh, Even though uh, several Republicans uh, fared well in their elections, uh, Benton LeBolt, who served as the national press secretary for former President uh, Barack Obama's re-election campaign, told Fox News Digital that MAGA, Make America Great Again aligned and election-denying extremists did not perform well because of their radical beliefs, and they failed to resonate with persuadable voters. And that's exactly what we were talking about earlier today with uh, Neil Levesque. Those, quote-unquote, you know, radical uh, right-wingers or extremists uh, did not fare well. And, uh, you know, he put, uh, you know, Caroline Lovett in that category here uh, in New Hampshire. She is certainly aligned uh, with Donald Trump. She worked in his uh, press office. Uh, She was the deputy press secretary under Kayleigh McEnany uh, during the administration. And, you know, many feel that, uh, you know, her, you know, her alignment with Trump perhaps cost her. Maybe it was uh, the fact that she is definitely a pro-life candidate, that could have hurt her as well. So there are many factors, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. We're talking with Neil also about the election of a new Speaker of the House. Uh, And, you know, Kevin McCarthy won yesterday, Uh, but you need 218, 218 votes to be elected Speaker of the House. So, as Neil was saying, a lot of deals have to be made between now and early January if Kevin McCarthy expects to have clear sailing to his post as Speaker of the House. It'll be a very interesting time. And, uh, of course, if you missed the big news last night, Donald Trump has filed the papers. And he announced last night at his uh, digs in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, that uh, he is running for another term as president of the United States. So his campaign is on. Will it uh, have an impact on some of the other candidates we've been talking about that could possibly run for president from the Republican side? Like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, like former Vice President Mike Pence, Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, uh, once a, a great pal and a great proponent of President Trump. He has been mentioned as well. And there are others out there like, well, maybe close to home. Chris Sununu, maybe. That's a possibility. He would neither confirm nor, de- nor deny that whenever asked. I remember on election night, uh, he had an interview uh, after winning his uh, fourth term as governor of the state, had a conversation with David Muir of ABC, and David did his best to pin Chris Sununu down as to whether he had national es- expir- aspirations. <laughs> uh, he would not say. He would not commit one way or the other. Said uh, he was going to enjoy his victory, his fourth term as governor of New Hampshire, and uh, any aspirations of a presidential run or being a uh, vice presidential nominee, uh, that uh, would be put on the back burner. But we shall see. We shall see uh, what happens with Chris Sununu because he has great local appeal, obviously, judging by the numbers. I mean, New Hampshire voters have traditionally liked to split their ballots, and they certainly did that uh, this time around. We have a, a Republican governor in the corner office. We have a majority in the House. The Republicans have a majority in the House, but not by very much this time around, and a majority still in the Senate. So locally, the Republicans rule, but. In the national vote, we have an entire Democratic congressional delegation with Chris Pappas and Annie Custer, both winning re-election in Districts uh, 1 and 2. And, of course, uh, Maggie Hassan defeating uh, General Bulldock. So it's, uh, it's split. New Hampshire voters, independent thinkers, loving to uh, split their ballots. No coattails. In the state, we thank you very much for joining us on this edition of Kale and Company. Always a delight to have you along with us here on WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester, Manchester and beyond. Great signal at 101.9. Check it out and streaming around the world, around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Make it a great Wednesday, everyone. See you tomorrow with Dan Weed.